Well, good morning, church. This month, if you've been with us, you know I have been sharing some things that I believe God put on my heart and in my spirit during my annual August sabbatical. And if you've been with us over these past four weeks, you know that none of those things have been new revelations. Instead, God has been calling us to revisit things that He has said to us previously, things that He has said to us repeatedly, things that shape our identity, our mission, our vision, our core values. Now, God has good reasons for everything He does. We may not always know them, but God has good reasons. And in our case, I suspect His emphasis on revisiting past revelations owes to His awareness that things that aren't intentionally remembered are inevitably forgotten. And that's why remembering is such a frequent theme in God's Word. God knows His people are prone to forgetfulness. There are a host of reasons for that tendency, but whatever the reason, the outcome is always the same. Forgetfulness in spiritual matters is disastrous because none of us practice what we have forgotten. We're prone to assume spiritual failings are most often the result of our conscious rebellion against a clear commandment from God. But Scripture again and again, by way of example, reminds us that spiritual failings aren't always intentional. They're often the result of unintentional forgetting, of gradually losing sight of things that are critical. And that explains why most of God's invitations to restoration and to renewal begin with the words, remember and return. In that order, remember and return. So today, before our annual meeting, I want to revisit a largely forgotten Old Testament story. It's exceptionally brief, but it's also extremely relevant. It reminds us of some things that we need to remember if we want to make a difference in a broken world, and we want to do so in a way that glorifies God. Those two things are inseparable because if we make a difference without glorifying God, we haven't made the difference that God desires. We've stopped short of the goal. The story I'm talking about is contained in just one verse in the Old Testament book of Judges chapter 3, verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Now there's a verse that is not found on anybody's refrigerator. I've never seen it on a t-shirt. I've never seen it on a magnet. I've never seen it on any of that Jesus junk that you can buy. Okay? But it's got to be the basis for a teaching today that I've entitled, Lay Down Your Fear and Take Up Your Stick. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your Spirit, enable me to faithfully discharge my responsibility to faithfully and prophetically preach and teach your word. And by your Holy Spirit, enable us to understand it individually and collectively 
and to know what we need to do to apply it in our life. As always, we pray these things for the glory of Christ and in His name. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. The book of Judges reads like the script of a History Channel miniseries. It's filled with tales of political intrigue, armed conflict, assassination, sexual seduction, spiritual decline, spiritual recovery, spiritual decline, spiritual recovery, spiritual decline, spiritual, you get the drift, unlikely heroism, and miracles. Some of the characters in the book of Judges appear larger than life. Samson comes to mind. Shamgar does not. All we know of that man is found in this one verse and a brief mention a few verses later. Now, if you notice, the Bible often records should-have-beens and could-have-beens that never were. Shamgar lived inside one of those. He lived in a time when Israel should have been prospering, when Israel could have been seeing spiritual, political, and economic progress. They have been given their own land. God was with them. Peace and prosperity within reach. But both of those things eluded them. And here's why. When we're inconsistent in obeying God, and imitate ungodly cultures, we make ourselves vulnerable to evil. Because inconsistent obedience is really just disobedience in installments. And the imitation of culture is a form of idolatry. And both of those things open the door to calamity. And Israel was guilty of both. So on one hand, they had the provision of God, the promises of God, but they were leaving open the door of vulnerability to evil. And as a result, they were repeatedly conquered by pagan neighbors and deprived of their freedom. But God still cared for their welfare. So each time calamity struck, he raised up what was known as a judge, a leader, a man or a woman to lead the resistance against Israel's oppressors and to lead the nation back to devotion and obedience. Now one of the judges mentioned in the book of Judges was in the passage that we read. His name was Ehud. And I only mention him because the bulk of chapter 3 records his mission a carefully planned and a successfully executed assassination of one of Israel's oppressors, the king of Moab. And it records it in graphic detail. And then, in what sounds like a mere afterthought, the final verse of the chapter that we read speaks of Shamgar. Now, Shamgar didn't get the press that Ehud received. And he certainly didn't get the press that Samson did for slaying a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. But Shamgar had some pretty impressive battle cred all his own. He saved Israel by striking down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. Now, for the two or three of you who aren't current on ancient Middle Eastern farming implements, an ox goad was a seven to eight foot long stick. 
and the working end of that stick had a pointed iron spike on it, and it was used to prod reluctant oxen as they were pulling the plow. And it also had a scraper on it that was used to clean the blade of the plow so that it would be more effective. Now, ox goads weren't designed to be weapons. So an ox goad was not Shamgar's weapon of choice. It was his weapon of necessity. Because in his day, whenever one nation conquered another, they always disarmed the conquered populace. So when the Philistines subjugated Israel, they followed that policy. They took away all of their arms, all of their swords, all of their spears, all of their shields. So when God moved Shamgar to act on behalf of his nation, that ox goad was literally the only thing available to him. Now we're not told how Shamgar used his ox goad to liberate Israel. He may have led a band of similarly armed peasants into battle. After all, when we say Napoleon conquered a nation, we know Napoleon didn't do that by himself. Or Shamgar may have killed the 600 a few at a time in small guerrilla warfare raids. Or he may have done it all at once. He may have done it entirely on his own. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But no matter how it went down, defeating 600 armed veteran warriors with a farm implement was quite an accomplishment. Now, what does that story, that ancient story, have to say to you and me about making a difference in a manner that glorifies God? Well, the first thing it has to say to us could be easily overlooked because it's tucked inside Shamgar's name. Shamgar means name of a stranger. And the name is made up of two different words, and the composition of it clearly indicates Shamgar was not Jewish on either his dad's side or his mother's side. He was not an Israeli. That means he didn't start life as one of God's people. Somewhere along the line, he made the conscious choice to change his identity and change his loyalties to Israel. And I find a reminder for us in that. To make a difference in the world, we must first let God make a difference in us. Our primary identity and loyalties must change. There are two mistakes believers make, and they make them frequently. One is to only be concerned about personal holiness and have no awareness of the social dimension of holiness. The other is just that mistake stood on its head, caring so much about the social dimension of holiness that you get pretty sloppy on the personal end of things. God isn't an either-or God. He's a both-and God. So before we can make a difference in the world, we've got to let God make a difference in us. None of us start life as God's children, though everybody likes to say we're all God's children. The Bible doesn't say that. We are all God's creations. But Scripture is clear. We only become a child of God through faith in Jesus. As many as received Him, to them He gave what? The right to become the children of God. And once we do that, we have to see ourselves first and foremost as the body of Christ, as the church. 
not Americans, not any other nationality, not Republicans, not Democrats, not evangelicals, not progressives, not conservatives, not liberals, not capitalists, not socialists, and not white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Our primary identity must be follower of Jesus. Because if you make anything else your primary identity, you're going to miss a lot of what Jesus intends for you. Our first loyalty must be to God and His kingdom. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's the beginning point for making a difference. It is much easier to do good than to be good. God wants both. He wants both. He wants you feeding the hungry, but He also wants you feeding your soul on His Word. It's not an either-or. And we have to make a conscious decision about our identity and our primary loyalty. Shamgar's story also reminds those who would make a difference that God's people shouldn't be intimidated or discouraged by stiff challenges. Why? Because they bring out God's best in us. In Shamgar's day, Israel was at the mercy of roaming Philistine gangs. And they specialized in robbery and terrorizing the populace. And that's why chapter 5 said the roads in that day were deserted. Fear had shut things down. People were afraid to be caught out on the highway for fear of being robbed and maybe even losing their life. In addition to that tough situation, we know that Shamgar battled some personal weaknesses. Now, the text doesn't tell us that, so why would I say that? I say that because every other leader mentioned in the book of Judges struggled with some personal challenges, and there's no hint that Shamgar was the exception. So safe to say, if Shamgar had only considered two things, his nation's situation and his own weakness, he would have joined the fearful in hiding. He would have stayed off the roads. But Shamgar didn't take that course because he considered something else. He also considered God's track record. Now, he didn't have the record of God's resume that you and I have. We have the entirety of Scriptures. He had very, very little in the way of Scripture and mostly just oral reports. But it was enough to convince him that God is bigger than difficult times and the weakness of his servants. So Shamgar laid down his fear and picked up his stick. And that brings me to a final thing the story calls us to remember. Like a single stone in a slingshot, the smallest weapon becomes powerful when God holds the one who is using it. The Philistines had chariots and swords. Shamgar had an ox goad, a stick. But Shamgar prevailed because he believed that while the Philistines controlled the roads, God controlled the outcome. Now, I say all of this because you and I live in a time when spiritual Philistines appear to control the roads. They essentially shape the narrative in this nation and the flow of information in this nation. 
And they're the ones that possess the swords and the chariots because they largely control the economy and government and politics. And safe to say, like the ancient Philistines, they use their power to rob people, to rob them of hope, to rob them of dignity, to rob them of a future. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul said, not many of us are powerful. Because when compared to the arsenal of modern Philistines, our weapons, our spiritual weapons, look like mere sticks. What are our weapons? Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. What are they? The preaching of God's Word. The enabling and equipping of the Holy Spirit. The love of God being demonstrated through us. Humility. Prayer. Generosity. And acts of compassion. See, none of those things intimidate modern, well-armed Philistines that control the narrative and have all the coin and have all the political power. And we know that the hands that hold those weapons, our hands are weak and often inconsistent. But Shamgar reminds us if we'll lay down our fear and take up our sticks, we'll discover two things. First of all, it's not the size of the weapon that ensures the victory. It's the size of the God who holds us. I grew up singing a little chorus, little is much if God is in it. And it was true then and it's true now. And second, God gives us sticks so that he alone receives the glory for his victories. When you read Shamgar's story, you immediately, intuitively know Shamgar didn't do that all on his own. This dude wasn't so good that he could take a farm implement and defeat 600 armed warriors. Somebody had to be helping Shamgar. You, you just know that. It's not written because it's obvious. In the same way, God wants the victories in the spiritual battles in this culture to be won by people with sticks so that the culture knows, so that the unbelieving know they could have never done that in their own strength. They could have never done that in their own power. What they're saying about God must be true. What they're saying about God must be real. Shamgar's brief biography, his one Verse biography concludes with these words, almost as an afterthought. He also saved Israel. Think of that. One farmer with a stick saved a nation. And the God who saved that farmer and who equipped that farmer doesn't want us to forget that if we will lay down our fears and take up our sticks we will see many saved in our broken world. And that's the commission God has left to us. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus doesn't take you home the minute you're saved. It'd be easier, wouldn't it? You get saved and bam, Jesus takes you home. No battles, no setbacks, no discouragement. Why does he leave us here? Because we have a job to do. We have a job to do. The world makes a lot of noise like those roaming Philistine gangs. And we look and all we've got is a stick. But Shamgar reminds us, lay down the fear, take up the stick. The battle is the Lord's. Let's pray together. Father, these are ours in this nation.
when a lot is on the line and your people need to act like your people. We need to think like your people. We need to have values that are the values of your people. Our loyalties, our priorities must center upon you. And we have to take up the weapons that you've given us to make a difference, to help people move from brokenness into blessing, from darkness and oppression into life and light and liberty. Father, we can hunker down in fear. We can start praying, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, or we can take up our sticks. Help us to do the latter so that one day we might people meet people who were saved because like Shamgar, we didn't let fear set our course. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.